remember this, that when Abraham stood back and surveyed all that was going on, his trust and confidence was in the living God because Abraham was becoming the man that God had truly called him to be. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Genesis chapter 13 is a continuation, as you've just heard, of our studies in the Old Testament book of Genesis. And today we're continuing to study the life of Abraham. You'll find it on page 18 of your pew Bible. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. And from the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place where Bethel and I, where his tents had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I will go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord and like the land of Egypt towards Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east, and the two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. All the land that you see I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. And so Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great tree of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. I want to begin this morning with a question. And the question is this, have you ever been tempted in public to pretend that you are someone you are not. Here it comes again. Have you ever been tempted in public to pretend that you are someone you are not? It happens to me about two or three times a week. 
And it happens when I'm ordering my coffee and I'm standing in line at Starbucks and the barista will ask me, what is my drink? And I will say, it's a latte grand, extra hot, skimmed milk, no foam with a solo shot. And strangely enough, they are able to get all of this down fairly quickly and they mark it on the the carton itself or the cup, and then they say, what is, the, what is the name for the order? Because they want to put your name on the top. And I am regularly tempted to say, George, or Tom, or Mike, because I think it would be exciting to be someone else for 10 minutes or so. And I am just not brave enough to do that, because I know that the barista will look at me and she will say, you don't look like a George to me. Or, if she believes, she'll write the name down, she'll be busy making the coffee, and I, of course, will get sidetracked. I'll pull out my phone, and I'll be busy answering emails or sending texts, and she'll be shouting, Latte Grand for George. And I am ignoring her entirely. And then when she calls a third time, I then remember I'm actually George, and I look over, and she, by this stage, is looking at me like this. Mm-hmm. This man doesn't know who he is. And it's just not worth the trouble, but I'm, I may try it this week, and if I do, I will let you know how I get on. How is that? And my point in all of that is this, that over the last two Sundays, as we have spent our Sunday mornings in Genesis chapter 12, we have noticed that when God impacts a life the way He does with Abraham, there is a profound transformation takes place. And Abraham eventually comes to realize who he truly is and the significance in his own life as God works in and through Abraham to bring about his eternal decrees and redemptive purposes. Last Sunday morning, we spent most of our morning in the latter part of Genesis chapter 12, where Abraham had left the promised land. He'd gone down into Egypt. He had pretended to be someone he wasn't, and it ended up disastrously, just dreadful. And last week, if you were with us, you will notice this, that at the end of the chapter, which chapter 12 brings us into the opening of chapter 13, Abraham was brought by God back through Egypt, and we saw not only the restraining grace of God at work in the life of Pharaoh, as he related to Sarah, but we also saw the restoring grace of God as God takes Abraham by the hand, and slowly but surely, step by step, moment by moment, day by day, takes him all the way north and then west, or east rather, back to the promised land. And he takes them all the way back to Bethel. And he takes them back to Bethel because Bethel was the place where God manifest himself to Abraham, and Abraham's life was utterly turned upside down. And so he took them back to Bethel. And all of that we read in the first three verses of chapter 13. And the principles that Abraham learned last week are principles that should be written on the very tablets of our hearts so we can remember them again and again and again. Let me quickly remind you of the three principles, and if you weren't with us last week, please jot these down. And the number one principle was this, that Abraham learned in the midst of being tested by God 
that true faith is always and universally tested. True faith is always and universally tested, because in the midst of that testing, God drives us to our knees to have an immediate and intense increase in our relationship with Him. That's what's going on when we're tested. And secondly, the second principle Abraham learned last week, and it's helpful for us to see them as we move into chapter 13, is this, that in the midst of difficult, challenging days, the question is this, is God sufficient to deal with the challenges that lie before me? And when you're going through a time of testing, and when your back is up against the wall, the question prompted in your own mind is always the same. Is God and God alone sufficient to see me through the challenges I am facing? Abraham is about to be tested once again. And if you think it's tough going from one test to another, to another, to another, that's exactly where Abraham is in chapter 13. And it begins with the words, now Lot, and Lot was Abraham's nephew. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together, and quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. And the Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. Now, Abraham is faced with a real challenge, an everyday practical challenge. This wasn't some odd discussion. This was practical every day, not philosophical. This was not about aesthetics or appearance. This was where can we get good grazing land? Where can we get sufficient water for our livestock? Real problems. And because they had so many, you can imagine the scale of the problem. And Abraham goes to Lot, and they enter into a discussion. Now, the Scripture doesn't tell us this, but I imagine in my mind that Abraham could have been absolutely right in going to Lot and saying this. Now, Lot, you and I have come a long way together. Over 800 miles, over several months, we left our families, all that was known, to head for the unknown, from the comfortable to the uncomfortable. We traveled 800 miles with a large caravan going north, as you look at it, north, and then to the west, and then south into the promised land. And then when there was a famine, we uprooted again and went over to Egypt, and then when there were problems, we left Egypt and came back. Lord, we have been through a lot together. It has been difficult, at times tough, we have shared the same meals. We've slept in the same tents. We have taken water from the same well. But Lot, I promised your parents I would look after you and protect you, and I have done exactly that. But now it's time for us to part ways. You have large responsibility with herdsmen and maidservants and manservants. You have a lot of livestock. You're a wealthy man. You're independent of me, your uncle. 
Lord, you know that God has given me this promised land. And you know that despite the fact that I have no children, God has promised that one day I will have children. And Lord, I am putting down my roots here, and you need to find another place. Go north or south or east or west. I don't really care which direction, but I want you to know that you go with my blessing, and I'll pray for you. Abraham doesn't do that. Last Sunday in chapter 12, Abraham sought to manipulate every situation he came across for his own ends. Scheming, plotting, planning, designing, lying. And he'd come to fear the truth, and he put his wife's purity in jeopardy for the sake of his own security. But after going back to Bethel, we see a very different Abraham. What does Abraham do? He approaches Lot and his herdsmen, and he says to them, what? Look out over the range before you. North, south, east, west, it doesn't matter. And you choose the land that you think will be best for you. If you go off to your right, I will go off to the left. Because we should not be quarreling. We are brothers. Talk of generosity. Talk of looking out for others before yourself. That was Abraham in chapter 13. So magnanimous. And in fact, Abraham is almost Christ-like here. Let me give you four principles when it comes to relationship building and developing relationships and taking them to a place they should be. And the first word is this, escalation. If you're taking notes, put it down this morning, escalation. And escalation happens for this reason. Someone approaches another and says this or that or the next thing, and the other person in total disagreement simply shakes their head and says, well, that is typical of you. You have never supported me in anything I've wanted to do. When I need five minutes on my own away from the children or when I come in from work and life has been so busy, I just need five minutes peace and quiet on my own. And that is typical of you. As soon as I come through the door, you're asking me about this and that and the other. Please just be quiet and let me sit still for five minutes. What is going on there is this, that escalation happens when universal language begins to creep into an argument. That is typical of you. You never support me. You always wanted this or that or the other. And when you're in the midst of an argument and you find yourself using always and never and so on and universal language, you're in serious difficulty because escalation is taking place right in front of you. Always, never, typical. Escalation. Secondly, invalidation. And invalidation happens when an individual raises an issue 
Sometimes it happens in corporate boards, sometimes a teaching staff room, sometimes in a lawyer firm, often in relations between one-to-one, -one, husband, wife, father, son, and so on. And someone raises an issue, and the other person just shakes their head again and says, you're always so defensive when that issue comes up. You always respond in the same way. You're just far too sensitive over that. What has just taken place is what? It's not only escalation involved, but also invalidation takes place. And one individual invalidates the feeling, perspective, or view of another. And it's not just a subtle put-down, sometimes it's an immediate and instant put-down. And what is happening is this. The person who's brought to the table the concerned is not being listened to and not being given respect. You're always so sensitive. You're always so defensive. I don't want to listen to all that again. That's what's going on. Thirdly, if escalation and validation is involved, thirdly, there is negative interpretation. Now, let me give you an illustration, and here it comes. A man comes in late from work one night, and he gives his wife an envelope. And inside is a gift card. And he says to his wife, I think you will enjoy this. I'm excited to give it to you. I can't wait to see your face when you open it. And he gives her an envelope. And she thinks, wow, it's been a busy day for me at work, and I never thought the day would end this way, but this is great. Quickly opens the envelope, takes out the gift card, and there's another note in there, and it's the gift card for a gym membership. Now, a number of you already went, <gasps> negative interpretation happens in this illustration when the lady receives the gym membership and she looks at her husband and every fiber of her being is holding her back from throwing it in his face and saying, what on earth possessed you to buy me this? You're giving me this by telling me that I'm fat and overweight and out of shape, and what are you doing? And he says, Honey, I'm sorry. Two nights ago, I heard you speaking to Julia on the phone, and you said that it's been years since you've used the pool, and you haven't swam since you were in your teen, teenage years, and I thought you could maybe go swimming on a Monday or a Tuesday or any time you like, and I thought I was doing something nice for you. I wanted to surprise you and give you something you would enjoy. Negative interpretation brings escalation and invalidation with it. And fourthly, when it comes to relationship building and engaging with others, withdrawal and avoidance is seriously unhealthy. Number four is withdrawal and avoidance. And withdrawal and avoidance often happens in a marriage when a couple for years have been struggling with not just one issue, but often several issues. And they have no more energy. And there is no point discussing it. And they're not willing to invest the time 
because whatever the issue is, it used to be an issue, but instead of following the biblical principle where two become one flesh, and together they address the issue, what happens is this, that when that relationship ruptures and breaks and turns sour, the couple involved often find it so much easier not to address the issue, but they start firebombing each other and making each other the problem rather than the issue itself. And what we see in this passage is that Abraham absolutely refuses to escalate the problem. He doesn't become involved in invalidation or negative interpretation or withdrawal and avoidance. He does the very opposite. And what we see in Abraham is this. We are beginning to get a glimpse of what God first saw in Abraham. We see Abraham, who is Christ-like in his approach, and he goes to Lot and he says, Lot, let's solve this problem together. We shouldn't be fighting. There shouldn't be tension among us. Let's face the problem square on. Let's not blame each other. And Abraham absolutely doesn't blame Lot, but together he says, Lot, if you want to go to the right, I will go to the left. If you want to go to the left, I will go to the right. And know that I will be praying for you and thinking about you and go with my blessing. You choose. And Abraham is a very different man, as we said earlier, than Abraham in chapter 12. But please notice this. Verse 10, Lot looks at the land. And what does Lot do? Lot has become the old Abraham. And Lot chooses for himself the best of land, the land that has nourishing, succulent grass for his livestock, the land that is well watered, and he thinks only of himself. You remember we said at the beginning of our study this morning that Abraham learned a number of principles, and one of the principles was this, the second one. When your back is up against a wall and you have nowhere else to go, the question uppermost in your mind is this, is God sufficient for the challenge which lies before me? Can he handle this? Is he able to deal with this? The passage begins with Abraham in Bethel building an altar to the Lord. The chapter ends with Abraham in Hebron, close to the great tree of Mamre where he is building an altar to the Lord. And the question is, why? What could Abraham see in the midst of all of this that we may be in danger of missing? And it's this, that Abraham was beginning to feel and sense the purposes and plans of God at work. Not the purposes and plans of Abraham or Lot or their sheep herders or their livestock. All of that was interesting. 
But Abraham was beginning to get a sense that God himself with measured tread was walking through history and bringing to pass his purpose and his will. And he was fashioning and shaping the lives of Abraham and Lot and Sarah and the others for a much larger purpose. Because the eternal purposes and decrees of God Himself were being worked out in and through these lives. And when Lot departs, God speaks to Abraham again. And He says to him this, Abraham, even though you have no children, and even though you do not know what the future holds, believe me when I say this, your direct descendants will be as multiple as the stars in the sky or the dust at your feet. And when Lot thought he was choosing the most valuable ground, God was taking Abraham north to Hebron, close to the great tree of Mamre, because 13 miles north of Hebron lay a small village, a village of no importance, a village that was seemingly instantly forgettable. And the village would be called Bethlehem. And God in His sovereign grace was bringing to pass His purpose and His will. And this week, when you find yourself in the midst of relationships that you are trying busily to recall in your mind and say, now what did Richard tell us last Sunday about escalation and invalidation and all of that? What, what did he say? Remember this, that when Abraham stood back and surveyed all that was going on, his trust and confidence was in the living God because Abraham was becoming the man that God had truly called him to be. Ask yourself this question this week. Do I need to pretend to be someone that I'm not? Or do I simply follow his call to be the man or the woman, boy or girl, he is calling me to be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture, for all that it teaches us in relationship development and relationship building and being Christ-like in our relationships with others. And Father, help us to also remember the rich doctrinal nature of the passage that teaches us that God is sufficient for every challenge which lies before us and that when we follow His call, then we are becoming the people of God that He's called us to be. Father, bless us this week. Enable us to grow in grace and to understand finally and to have unashamed confidence that God is sufficient for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
To purchase a DVD of today's message, please send a check or money order for $10 to First Presbyterian Church and include today's program number. For more information, call 864-672-1846 or visit our website at firstpresgreenville.org. Register now for Weird Animals Vacation Bible School at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Greenville. The program is free for rising K-4 through 12th grade. Visit firstpressgreenville.org to sign up. Yes, the free